Hello, and welcome to episode two of The Second Cup Show. My name is Deidre Braley, and I'm the writer behind the blog, The Second Cup. If we're not friends there already, make sure you go check out The Second Cup on Substack and also on Instagram. You can find the links in the description below, and I would love to connect with you there. As I've said here before, at The Second Cup, I believe that the real magic happens when we get beyond the small talk and get to the good stuff. There's always an open invitation here to linger and explore, and I really believe in keeping it real here. Doubts, questions, struggles, and all. So that's why I am so pleased to introduce you today to Mike Noriega. Mike is someone who isn't afraid to engage with difficult questions and ideas either. Um, On June 24th, 2021, he lost his grandmother, Hilda, in the third deadliest building failure in U.S. history the Surfside condo collapse in Miami, Florida. Many of you may have seen this on the news. He processes this tragedy in his new book, Uncollapsible Soul, and he also looks head on at the questions that so many of us have when something hard or terrible or unexpected happens in our lives. So thank you, Mike, for joining me on my show today. And thank you for being brave enough to talk to us about the tough stuff. I know that I just briefly introduced you, but can you tell us a little more about yourself and the heart behind your book, Uncollapsible Soul? Absolutely. So um, my grandmother was the matriarch of my family. She was like a second mother to me. And uh, both my parents were first responders growing up. My, My father worked with the Miami Beach Police Department. Uh, and worked his way up to becoming the chief of police. My mother was an ER, ER trauma nurse at the time. And so growing up, my dad on his way to work would drop me and my brother and sister off at my grandparents' place. And they very much so uh, helped raise us. And me and my grandmother had a very special relationship because at the time that I was born, uh, just a few months later, her daughter, her only daughter, my father's sister was unfortunately killed in a car wreck at 17 years old. And so that absolutely devastated my grandparents and devastated my family. But my grandmother, up until the day that she passed away, she would always say this this statement to me that I didn't quite understand until after she was gone. She would look at me and say, you saved my life. And now I understand what she means because in such a time of mourning and death and loss, my grandmother took all of that, that love and that affection and that adoration she had for her daughter and she poured it into me like her own son. And so we had a very special bond. And so on uh, June 22nd of, of 2021, I got one of those middle of the night phone calls that you hope to never receive and quite honestly, never expect to receive. And, um, we arrived to my grandmother's building, um, Champlain Tower South, about a third of the building, 55 apartment units, just pancake, pancake, pancake demolition collapsed in the middle of the night. And it was one of the most traumatic, devastating things that you could ever imagine um, to kind of just sit there and look at my grandmother's balcony and just see it right in front of us, knowing that she was somewhere underneath there. And um, throughout that whole process, uh, my grandmother was the 12th person found uh, on the sixth day. And 
you know, through that whole process, I, it really, I didn't just have to go through a healing process. I went through an entire transformation as a person. Uh, I went through a metamorphosis because I, I just couldn't go back to my old life. I couldn't go back to the way that things were after we buried my grandmother. My life was not the same. And uh, God really stirred something in my soul. And so that eventually gave birth to this, to this book. Uh, so really the heart behind it originally was that um, I learned, you know, one of my favorite quotes is by Mark Batterson from Chase the Lion. And he says that uh, an uh, inheritance is what you leave behind for someone, but a legacy is what you leave behind in someone. And my grandmother left such a legacy of love in my heart that really was a reflection of God's love. Her love was an overflow of God's love. And, you know, my grandmother is still impacting lives, even in her death, probably actually way more lives, lives that I've never even met, that she's never even met uh, in her death because God is using it. And so the, this book is really uh, originally the idea was to capture her legacy and to, to honor her. Um, but almost a year later, um, about 10 months after the collapse, I started to connect with families. Uh, I got added onto a WhatsApp chat and I started to learn their stories and I started to actually relive the experience through quite honestly, uh, much more traumatic situations. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I met, you know, <laughs> I, three of the people I write about in my book are actually went down with the building in the collapse and were pulled out of the rubble yeah. that day, 101 people went down with the building 98 of them died but three of them are alive today and have very powerful stories and testimonies and so uh there's some very specific families that i just grew a very close and intimate uh relationship with that i write about their stories and it's not just to write about them but it's to write about how their story has impacted my life and has uh, facilitated in my healing and restoration process. Mm. And uh, the other heart behind or, or piece of the, the heart behind this book is to honor those first responders. And that's so important to talk about because those first six days, you know, the reason it took me so long to connect with those family members in Surfside is because I wasn't with them. I was with the first responders because of, of my father. And so I watched those first responders on the front lines, digging through the rubble, uh, finding not even bodies, finding body parts. And, um, you know, I'll never forget, they ran a DNA test on my, on my father because they knew they may not find my grandmother's body. They knew they might find parts of it. Yeah. And so um, to watch those first responders, they bring that home with them, just like us as victims brought that home with us. And so we often don't think of the first responders as victims themselves, but, um, you know, part of the book is to, to honor them. Um, but ultimately the, what gave, what, what gave me the confirmation to write this book. And I think truly what the pulse of this book is, is Psalm thirty four eighteen that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and rescues those that are crushed in spirit. After the Surfside collapse happened right across the street, there was a one block long memorial wall that became known as the wall of hope. And at the time, all these people were missing. And so it was like a prayer wall. 
It was a memorial wall. I mean, there was flowers, pictures, personal belongings, and um, just it, it, it was a very emotional place that families would meet. And um, right in the middle of all that was Psalm 3418, this giant banner. I have a, a picture of it in my book. I'll never forget it. And this verse kept popping up in my life. And on January 11th of 2022, um, I heard Governor DeSantis quote it again, addressing my family uh, and I representing those in the Surfside Collapse. And that day, it just hit differently. Wait, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, but he rescues those that are crushed in spirit. He wants to rescue one and not the other. That must mean they're different. And that was the day that I feel like God spoke to my heart that uh, a broken heart is unavoidable, that we all go through sorrow. We all go through loss. Not even Jesus was able to escape sorrow. I mean, the shortest verse in scripture is that Jesus wept. But in the context, in the context of that scripture, um, it was, Jesus wept right before he raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus knew that Lazarus was going to be raised from the dead. But he mourned anyways. Why? Because his heart broke for his friends and his loved ones, right? So the Lord is near to the brokenhearted because when our heart breaks, the heart of God breaks. But at the same time, he rescues those that are crushed in spirit because a crushed spirit is losing your faith, your hope, and your purpose. It's like a bird without wings or a well without water. It's where you're just losing everything by chasing nothing because you've accepted living in a in what was meant to be a life season to making it a life sentence for yourself mm -hmm. and so the heart of this book is how can you endure seasons of life that will break your heart without them crushing your spirit oh yeah that is that's the million dollar question right like how can you endure these seasons and then live to tell about it, live to um, give other people hope who are experiencing um, tragedy in their own lives. Um, I think that is something that I have had to come to terms with as I've spent more time in the word and trying to kind of understand some of those questions, like that big question, why do good things happen to bad people? Why do we have to suffer? Why is there suffering in this world? In reading the Bible, um, you see all throughout people, God's beloved people are suffering. They are not um, exempt from that suffering. Um, and I was struck just last night um, we were reading my son a uh, his storybook Bible, and it was the story of um, the birth of Jesus. And Mary and Joseph are trying to find a place um, to sleep. And um, being pregnant myself, I was thinking about Mary, and I was like, oh, my gosh. She is carrying God himself in, in the flesh, and... Um, God still didn't give her a comfortable hospital to give birth in. She didn't yep. even know if she was going to have a place to have this baby. And she ended up having him in a barn or a cave or whatever it really was. And um, so it helps to think like, 
I think our tendency sometimes is to be like, is God punishing me? Have I done something wrong? Is that why this tragedy is happening? To remember that even his most beloved, including Jesus, experienced suffering, grief, tragedy, sorrow, and um, that is just one of the realities of being in this world. Um, but I love that verse that you quoted about how um, he is near to the brokenhearted. Um, I think if you've never experienced brokenheartedness before, you hear that verse and you're like, yeah, 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 cool. He's, he's close to the brokenhearted. But when you are in the middle of brokenness, Jesus's closeness sometimes is the only thing that will be able to give you hope in that season. And it's more precious than um, anything else. And I think sometimes you don't um, know that until you've experienced it. Absolutely. So what are some of the ways that we can have a broken heart without having a crushed spirit? Do you have any advice for somebody who is right in the middle of something that feels so difficult and it might feel almost impossible to not just resign themselves to being completely crushed? It would be easier to just give up. What, what advice would you have or encouragement? Yeah, you actually just alluded to some of it. Um, so I'm going to share something that I don't share very often publicly because um, I want my readers to find out through the book, but I think it's very relevant for this conversation. So the reason I wrote the book ultimately, believe it or not, has nothing to do with Surfside. Uh, I have suffered from a crushed spirit. That's why I wrote the book. And that's why I understand the difference between a broken heart and a crushed spirit so clearly. Um, there was a season in my life where I was crushed by divorce. And emotionally, that was by far the worst time in my life, even in comparison to all the darkness that happened with the trauma and tragedy of the Surfside collapse. And the reason why is because ultimately my divorce didn't just break my heart. It crushed my spirit because I lost my faith, my hope, and my purpose. When I went through my divorce, it was like, God, where were you? Like, I trusted you to save my marriage. I trusted you to work this out for my good. And my worst nightmare has come true. And God, where were you? I, God, I can't trust you anymore. You know what? I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to experience everything in the world that I haven't been doing because I've been trusting you and that clearly hasn't worked out. So now I'm going to do things my way. And it took me about a year and a half of, again, losing everything by chasing nothing um, to realize that it just brought me right back to God. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because the reason that I choose to be a Christian and I want to be very clear, my book is not a Christian book. My book is a book written by a Christian. So I cannot separate my experiences from my faith because they're, they're, they're married to each other. Right. They're, they're inseparable. And for me, I just have to say that every religion is man trying to get to God. It's man trying to do more. It's man trying to be good enough. 
And Christianity is really the only faith where God stepped out of heaven with full authority of heaven and claimed none of it. Jesus, you know, the reason I, I share about the story of Jesus weeping when it comes to the story of Lazarus, and I also share about it in my book, is because Jesus could have opted out of sorrow. Jesus could have been arrogant in that moment and been like, uh, Mary, Martha, what are you all crying for? I just told you twice, I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Can we get over this? Like, do you not have faith? What's wrong with you? Jesus could have had that approach, but he didn't. He's the God of empathy because he's felt everything that we feel. That there's nothing that we go through in life that our God did not feel first. Whether it's betrayal, whether it's burial, we're, we're burying somebody we love, whether it's a breakup, like I experienced with my divorce, in whatever form that it comes through, Jesus experienced all of it. And so since it's the only faith that God came to us, what I learned about my, my season of life of a crushed spirit is that I had used my pain to become an excuse and a source of pride. And that's where it gets dangerous when, when bitterness starts to take over um, and you start to live by sight and not by faith. And what changed all of that for me is I realized that I had the wrong filter, that I had the wrong perspective. And, you know, in, I went from thinking like, how could God allow this to happen to me? Where I realized, wait a second, Jesus was perfect. He was God in the flesh. He had the, all the authority of heaven, but he went through everything I've gone through. And then sometimes a million. He's gone through mental, emotional, physical, and even spiritual torture when he was perfect. And yet the father forsook the son. And like he, Jesus felt a loneliness that we could never even feel, that we could never even describe. And so when I realized that, wait a second, because I went through a divorce, because I went through the loneliest season of my life, doesn't mean that God wasn't um, there for me. It doesn't mean that God betrayed me. As a matter of fact, I can trust God with my pain because he has been there. Because again, he is the God of empathy. He's not, you know, I was watching the, the new um, Thor movie, Thor, Love and Thunder. And it's such a perfect portrayal in that movie of what a false God is or what man's image of what a, a, a small G God is, mm. you know, these, these gods like Zeus and the God they introduced in the, in the beginning of the movie is this God that's just eating grapes and all the people are suffering. And, you know, he's just like, he doesn't care that the people are suffering. That's not the God that we worship, but he felt everything that we feel. And so that got me, that delivered me from the crushed spirit. And one of the reasons that that was the worst emotional experience I ever went through is because when I had the wedding, everybody was there for me. When I went through the divorce, none of those people are there for you. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't have those. I mean, I, ha I had some people that were there for me, but ultimately you have to go through that journey alone. Mm. And so one of the things that's helped me through grief is having a community. I mean, one of the lies of the enemy is to go into isolation. And isolation is so toxic because isolation is going into hiding really for the purpose of self-medicating, for feeling like a victim and just kind of not letting anybody in so that you can validate why you should continue feeling sorry for yourself. There's no healing process in it and there's no um, end timeline. Whereas solitude, Jesus went into solitude, 
right? Jesus went into the wilderness. Solitude is an intentional time to pray, to meditate, and to clear your mind and your heart to make room for God. And there's an end timeline. Mm. And you allow people to speak into your life. And so a, a lot of people, they go into isolation because they make an agreement with that lie that they're not worthy of having community or that people will judge them. And the truth of the matter is, is that we need community. We need each other. Um, again, Jesus was God and he had a community of 12 disciples. Who are we to think that we can do this by ourselves? And so the environment that you place around you can make all the difference. An acorn is meant to grow into an oak tree. But if you take that acorn with all that potential, with all that purpose and destiny within it, and you just throw it on a sidewalk, that thing is just going to wither away and disintegrate over time. But you take that same acorn and you plant it into fertile soil, that thing is going to grow to possibly hundreds of feet tall and give birth to countless other acorns because of the environment. The potential was always there and the purpose was always there. But because it was in the wrong environment, it was never able to come into, a fr into fruition. Mm -hmm. And so having community makes all the difference. Why? Because there are seasons of life that other people need to carry you, and that's okay. But there's other seasons. You're not meant to stay on the mat your whole life. There's other seasons that you're meant to carry other people. And I would even make sure to say that's what most of our seasons should look like. And so one of the most impactful um, stories in scripture through this time in my life has been the story of where four paralyzed men, uh, I'm sorry, four men carry a paralyzed man to Jesus. And they, they had so much faith in their heart that the house was full and they didn't say, oh man, we were late. Oh, well, we'll come back tomorrow. They were like, no, you are getting your healing today. Yeah. And they somehow carried that man to the roof. They tore a hole through it. They lowered the man to the feet of Jesus. And Jesus looks at the man, looks at his four friends at the roof, and then looks at the man again and says, son, your sins are forgiven because of their faith. Not because of your faith, because of their faith, you are healed. And there are times in life that we need the faith of other people that are willing to carry us when we can't carry ourselves so that they can bring us to the feet of Jesus, so that they can carry us. And the, you know, I have five steps to healing that I talk about in my book, but the fifth step is drawing purpose from your pain. Well, drawing purpose from your pain is where, you know, step four is all about completing your healing. But step five is now it's no longer about your healing because you're healed. It's about drawing purpose from your pain by helping other people heal. Mm -hmm. And so once you're healed, that's the beauty of that. And so there are a lot of, you know, different things I highlight throughout the book, but the biggest difference between Surfside and between um, my divorce is I had a strong faith-filled community of friends and family, um, especially through my church, Vu Church, that were just able to surround me and carry me when I couldn't carry myself. So I'm so glad that you brought up community because I think that is a massive part of being able to survive having a broken heart without also having that crushed spirit and staying in that place. Um, I think that a lot of people would agree that community is really, really important. 
And I think that a lot of us want to be like one of those friends that carried the paralyzed man to the feet of Jesus. I think that sometimes, though, when somebody goes through something unthinkable, that a lot of people have a hard time knowing what to say or what to do. Like they want to do the right thing, um, but are afraid that they're going to say the wrong thing or that they're going to um, accidentally misstep and make things worse. So um, do you have any practical advice for us, especially as somebody who experienced that really powerful, helpful community when you were going through the Surfside condo collapse what was most helpful for you, even though those people had it weren't necessarily going through the same struggle as you were personally? What were some very specific things that people said or did that really helped you and made you feel supported? I think a misconception is that there is a right thing to say. Now, there's definitely a wrong thing to say. Like, don't go to somebody that's going through grief and give them some cliche, some cheap cliche that, you know, has no meaning to the person or it, it just, it holds no weight. Like, like heaven needed an angel. Like what? Like mm -hmm. I'm in mourning right now. Like, like not helpful. Not helpful at all. Right. So there, there's not, you know, one um, practical line. There's not a magic phrase. It's, it's really not. And what those said to me, I think the the real magic behind empathy, genuine empathy, is presence. We need the presence of those around us. It's it's availability. It's just a lot of times the person that is grieving, they just need to be listened to. Yeah. They need a shoulder to cry on. They just need a meal. You know, you look at Jesus's ministry. Jesus's entire ministry, for the most part, was hospitality. I love you know, that. Jesus, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, there's no better way to build community than breaking bread. Jesus did it all the time. And it's a, it's a way to get people together. But my point is, sometimes the answer is just having a meal with that person. May, you don't even have to say anything. But I can tell you this. You could find the most perfect phrase that you could think of and it won't equate to it would never amount to your presence being there with that person sharing a meal even if you don't share a word together mm -hmm. and so that's that's really the the number one advice uh that i would have for someone that's going through grief but the second thing is uh for somebody that is going through grief there comes a time and again i i highlight what i call the five requisites to restoration these are the five things that really you have to do that any person has to do to 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 heal and find restoration um you know there there comes a point that again part of the lie of isolation is that nobody understands me or i'm i'm so alone and you keep everything within and uh, i make a parallel in my book that in your body when when you um drink drinks or you eat food, your body has to filter out that waste. And so when your kidneys, if they ever stop working, well, your body doesn't have to have a way to fil filter out those toxins from your body. And so thank God that 
you know, we have this process called dialysis that functions as a big man-made mechanical kidney, but it's only a matter of days till those toxins just keep um, just circulating throughout your body that your blood pressure starts to rise and your body essentially becomes septic and poisoned and you will die. And I believe God not only made our bodies that way, but he so made our spirits that way as well, that when we are, are harboring uh, pain and when it comes to grief, there's so many different feelings. There's, there's, anger, there's anger, there's sadness, there's rage, there's pain. There, 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 there's so many different emotions. And you have to get it out because what will happen is it will consume you in bitterness, essentially, if you don't get it out in a healthy way. And so um, I call it heart dialysis, that you don't want to put your heart on dialysis, which is not a real thing when it comes to our bodies. Um, but for your, your spiritual heart, you don't want to get to a point where your heart becomes so poisoned because you've stopped guarding your heart that you can't receive healing because it's so full with the pain and the bitterness and you have to talk to somebody yeah your mind your your mind knows and i'll even say this your 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 mind your spirit and your soul know that your emotions um are lying that you know emotionally you're saying i can't talk about this but everything inside of you your heart, yeah. your spirit, your soul is like, I need to talk about this or I'm going to explode. That's why it feels like such a heavy burden when you don't talk about things. Like, it's so interesting when somebody says, oh, I'm so happy I got that off my chest. It's because they've been harboring that inside. And like God is, is um, just like, it's almost like our mouth is the pathway to our healing. That it expresses our heart and makes room for God to do his work so that we can receive. And so the, you know, the entire book is based on this, this premise of your soul becoming uncollapsible, that your soul is meant to be uncollapsible. Just so you know, uncollapsible is actually, I mean, you said you're in an English um, major or graduate. Um, that's, or that's what you have your degree in. And it's just so funny because uncollapsible is not a word in the English dictionary. I make up words all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but I came up with that word because um, when you can go through a broken heart without it crushing your spirit and you're able to heal and then draw purpose from your pain, your soul is uncollapsible. And ultimately, the reason that my grandmother's building collapsed in the middle of the night is because the building was on a weak foundation. That, that foundation actually disintegrated over time. Um, and it's really sad that that happened, but it's just a picture. What happened to my grandmother's building is a picture of what happens in our own lives when our lives are built on a weak foundation. Mm -hmm. Go, with my divorce, for example, the reason I went through a crushed spirit is I thought my faith was in Jesus. But when my faith was tested, I, was learned, that my, I learned the hard way that my faith couldn't be trusted because my faith was attached to an outcome. And when I didn't get the outcome, it broke my faith, weak foundation. So my entire book is really dedicated of how can you build your life on a firm foundation and not just go through healing, but grow through healing so that your soul can be uncollapsible. And I think that is when, I think that is God's intention for us is that 
um, when we're able to really lean into him when we're going through really unthinkable circumstances. Um, and that takes so much intention. It would be so much easier to just assume a crushed spirit and just give up right there. But when we make the intentional choice to um, dig in and um, see how faithful God is, even in those unbelievable circumstances, that is where just the incredible growth happens. And I have found in my own life that those um, are the times that make me stronger for the next time, which gives me hope. You know, I think about um, in Romans, shoot, I'm going to get it wrong now, but it's, um, suffering leads to endurance, which builds your character, which um, you can put your hope in something like that. And I, I always used to be yeah. like, voice in my suffering. No way. Um, I have it right on my computer. Okay, Consider please, it pure legit. joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, uh, making you mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. And you know, none of us wants to suffer. But don't we all want to be mature in our faith and lacking nothing? And so good. we have experience or we have scripture all throughout the Bible that is evidence that whether we like it or not, suffering somehow can be the pathway to get to that point where we are lacking in nothing. So I just want to thank you, Mike. It has been such a pleasure talking with you and such an encouragement. Um, I was so encouraged reading your book. I know we talked about this a little bit before we hit record, but um, how you took something that was so devastating and so personal to you and to so many other people and still managed to have this undercurrent of hope running throughout your whole book. Um, and I know that anyone who reads it will be incredibly encouraged as well. Um, so before we let you go, can you just let us know where we can find you online? Like, where do you hang out on the internet? I, I have, I see your Instagram handle is on your name, which is super helpful. Um, but where else are you hanging out and where can we find your book on collapsible soul? Absolutely. So, uh, that's, uh, my Instagram and TikTok handle right there. Um, I'm also on Facebook uh, under Uncollapsible Soul and Twitter under Uncollapsible. And then um, my book is at all major retailers. Okay. Uh, so Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, but not Barnes & Noble in stores online. Online. Okay. Noted. Um, I'll make and, sure and, to... Sorry. sorry. <laughs> and I also forgot. You can also go to MikeNoriega.com or Uncollapsible Soul dot com uncollapsible ends in a b l e okay perfect so i'll make sure that i will um provide a link to all of those places that you just told us about in the description below this video as well so that people can can go back and find you when they're ready awesome thank you so much thank you so much mike it has been a pleasure talking to you and um we can't wait to see where things go next with your book me too thank you i'm so excited this was an honor all right. Have a nice day.